Welcome back to the Talk Sex Podcast. I'm your host, L. Stanger. This is the Satanism and Sexuality episode with our guest, Dr. Eric Sprankle. Hello. 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 I love saying your name. Oh, thank you. You said it directly. It usually gets mispronounced. So. How do you hear it? What do you get? Uh, the most common is they drop the R. So you can interpret that however. Sprinkle. Um, right. <laughs> and then like sprinkle or sprangle, they change it to a G instead of a K. But sparkle. Yeah, occasionally sparkle, yeah. Well, thank you it's for just, being here. Mm-hmm. I follow your tweets. You're on Twitter at Dr. Sprinkle. Your website is the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, you ruffle some feathers regularly. Um, And you talk a lot about consent, bodily autonomy, Mm -hmm. uh, freedom of movement and expression. And I have to say, I think I found you online, like, I don't know, five or six years ago. I reached out to you before, quoted you before, was just thrilled to find, no offense, but like an academic white man's take on things Mm -hmm. that was so good. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Yeah. From my privileged, like, white femme perspective. But uh, so let's talk about (laughs) what you do. So you're an associate professor of clinical psychology, and you're the co-director of the Sexuality Studies Program at Minnesota State University, Mankato. Dr. Sprangle is a licensed clinical psychologist and an ASEC certified sex therapist affiliated with the Minnesota Sexual Health Institute. And you currently lead the sexual health research team at Minnesota State examining the intersections of sexuality, stigma, and Satanism, and you've published articles on the effects of sexually explicit material, older adult sexuality, sex worker affirmative therapy, and satanic sexuality. Quite a lot. (laughs) um, I'm I'm curious about the older adult sexuality. We won't spend too much time on this because this isn't the focus of the episode, but how, how about how old are you? I am turning 40 next month. Okay, interesting. So usually the older, like the silver sex researchers I've met tend to be older themselves. Can I ask why there's an interest in that as well? In older adult sexuality? Yeah. Um, it it was just by chance. Um, that was kind of a, a subspecialty track that I focused on in grad school. And it was just because I didn't want to focus on the other areas. Mm-hmm. And since I had that under my belt, I started teaching psychology of aging mm. at Minnesota State. And then that kind of turned into some research projects that some grad students were interested in. And so that's just kind of how it morphed. Okay. It. Well, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And that's actually going to be a really growing area of expertise, I mm-hmm. think, because we have, for I sure. mean, the boomers for sure. Mm-hmm. And then their wave of children, which is my generation. And I think yours, right? right? Mm-hmm. I'm right on that cusp of X and millennial. Yeah, I'm 35, so I'm I'm okay. tic- yeah, I'm technically an older millennial. But like I talk right. to 25 year olds and I'm like, wow. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So funny enough, I thought I would find so much more stuff on the internet. I did a web search, I did a specifically Google search, and I just typed Satanism and sexuality in quotation marks. And your research article recently published was the first thing that popped up. Oh, great. Yeah, this is great. (laughs) But also, I was like, wow, there's really kind of a lack of writing and content Mm -hmm. about this. So, right. right. So can I ask, how did you evolve into this work? Yeah, so it was supposed to be a joke 
So that's kind of the origin. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's the that's the origin story of it. So it goes back to almost three years ago now, December of 2018. And one of my tweets went viral and not the good kind. It went viral through right-wing media. Mm. Um, it was critical, like the Virgin Mary story. And um, around that same time, too, I also had tweets up there of, uh, since it was December, I have uh, a photo of my black Christmas tree with an inverted pentacle at the top. I had a picture of my Baphomet statue being hugged by that elf on the shelf thing. So, you know, that you were trolling, played... you were trolling the right. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. That, that played so well into the right wing war on Christmas, like performative outrage kind of stuff. Right. So it just gave it to them. Did they <laughs> see this as like evidence of look, it's really happening? Yes, absolutely. So like it's there's like dozens of articles written calling me like the satanic professor said X, Y and Z or whatever. Tucker Carlson devoted a segment on his stupid show about it. So it was like everywhere. Hundreds oh of emails and phone calls like calling me every name that you can imagine. Oh, wow. um, as well as a lot of contacts to the university trying to get me fired. Yeah. And so this all happened just like anything that blows up. It comes very quickly and then it's over very quickly. So it was just over the course of like 48 hours. Hmm. Um, but in that time, the university felt pressured enough to that the university president at that time released a statement saying that he was personally offended by what I tweeted out, yada, yada, yada. But faculty do have First Amendment rights, speech and religion, so on. Hmm. So and then he went into this long little personal thing of like respectability politics when talking about like religion. Mm -hmm. So the speech thing made sense. But what caught me off guard was a little bit with the freedom of religion. And I was like, oh, shit, this dude thinks I'm like a devil worshiper. Um, so he thought like, you were oh. actually practicing. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And I know, I'm assuming he didn't know the difference between what, you know, horror movies depict as Satanists versus what Satanists right. actually are. So I'm like, oh, this would be funny if I like leaned into these like sensationalized headlines of Satanist professor and actually became the Satanist professor by doing a new research line in this area. And then the university would have to like promote me in their press releases if I'm publishing and oh, presenting in wow. this area. And so that was the origin of it. But what actually happened was that we started collecting like really good data and had like a lot of good projects going that we have been very productive and successful, like a half a dozen presentations, two publications, all within the span of just two years. And so now this is like my line of work, my primary focus, wow. my job for the, the foreseeable future. So jokes ultimately on me, I gave myself a lot more work. Um, and the president of the university retired. So he's not even seeing this right now. So um, <laughs> and here we are. Here we are. Here we are. Okay, I love that story. Um, I must have followed you before then, because I've definitely seen like an evolution. But again, there's so much stuff on social media. Mm -hmm. Um, So okay, that's kind of fucking awesome. Good for you. Um, So there was one thing you said that really caught me and and we got a question about this that I actually didn't include in the listener questions. But someone was asking, um, how much of your beliefs come from? Or how many of your Satanistic beliefs were original or how many do you think are reflections of what Catholics imagined Satan to be? Yeah, I, I would say it's a little bit of both. 
So the origin of like Satanism is a direct like inverse of what Christianity primarily thinks of what Satan is. Now, Satanists don't actually believe in a literal devil or God. They're, it's an atheistic or non-theistic religion, um, but they're just using the, the image or the, the symbol of Satan to represent everything that the church is against. So right. in, it's in kind of vein, like trolling as well. It's kind of it like is, a massive they, troll, like Anton LaVey, right? Is this the origin story? Is this the history in America? Right. Yeah. Of modern Satanism, starting okay. with Anton LaVey in 1966. And that was, yeah, there, there's definitely a reaction, kind of like a, a reactive, rather not reactionary, a reactive kind of trolling, kind of prodding kind of element to mm -hmm. Satanism. But it, it does go beyond that. It is a, a, a philosophy. It does have its own like rituals and practices, a sense of community and, and, and things like that. So it is recognized by religious scholars as a new religious movement and a, a legit religion. Um, but sure, there is the intentional <laughs> use and the weaponization of people's fear of the devil in this. And, that, and that's 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 part of the beliefs and practices, too, to okay. play with that. OK, so I'm starting to see some of the connections between Satanism and sexuality. Mm -hmm. So what do you believe are the connections between Satanism and sexuality as a response <laughs> right. to the dominant culture? Sure. So I would argue that any religion has connections to sexuality. What, what makes Satanism pretty unique, there are other religions similar to it, but what makes it stand out at least is that it, it's very permissible uh, or permissive rather when it comes to sexuality. Um, it's not necessarily anything goes because even in the a satanic bible which was published back in 1969 by LaVey nice. th there's a strong emphasis on right there's <laughs> a strong emphasis on consent and mm -hmm. even a pretty nuanced understanding of consent looking at power dynamics and, and things like that hmm. um, but beyond that there should not be any arbitrary um, prohibitions or restrictions on sexual expression just because something is taboo mm -hmm. what's interesting is that it, it without actually saying kind of the, the, the term like sex positive, it, mm -hmm. it is very similar to how we define that, that that's not based on particular behaviors or relationship structures that you may be in. It's more of like an attitude that you are living authentically to what is what LeVay termed as like your natural inclinations. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to be having group sex, there shouldn't be any prohibitions from you to stop you from doing that. Mm -hmm. um, but if you are asexual and also have zero interest and actually engaging in any sexual behavior, then you shouldn't force yourself to have sex just to be sexually liberated. Being sexually liberated is being aligned with what your natural self is, your authentic sense of self. Mm, God, I love so much of this. So I have the a copy of the Satanic Bible. Uh, mm. I have like just picked through it. Um, are, you're probably much more familiar with the text. Sure. Okay, so my question is, did you notice... And again, no offense, you're a man, so I don't know that mm -hmm. you would notice the same things I would, probably not all of them. But did you notice any misogyny throughout? Oh, for sure. Because it was written in the 60s. Yeah, okay, th okay. that's the one of the biggest criticisms of the Church of Satan in general, Anton LaVey specifically, and what's considered now as like LaVeyan Satanism. It's definitely a boys club. Um, mm -hmm. It was definitely kind of what's considered like androcentric. Um, mm -hmm. Women's presence... Um, it's, it's been viewed as largely like 
uh, like a prop, so to speak. I was going to so, like, say ornate or decorative right. is what comes to mind, and I'm not even sure. that familiar. Okay. Yeah, so like the nude woman on an altar during a black mass, and there's never any mention of like a nude man or, or anything like that. So it is very andro-male-centric. Mm-hmm. That's Levian Satanism. Satanism started splitting. They had schisms, just like every religious belief system does. I mean, just like every group community does. Eventually. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of infighting that leads to splits, either over theological differences or just governance differences. And so <laughs> that started way. <laughs> that started way back in the early seventies, and it continues now, even with the formation of the Satanic Temple in the early 2010s, that that has Mm. even seen some splits over these differences too. But at least more recent uh, versions or sects of Satanism has been much more egalitarian than Mm. Levian Satanism, which definitely warrants a criticism of misogyny. So, okay, good to know. Uh, That answered all my questions on that. What religions uh, are similar you said earlier there's some religions that are similar in their views on sexuality, I believe. Yeah, so a lot of times um, the the parallel is to just a general speaking uh, umbrella term of, of neo-pagan uh, religions, uh, Wicca, for example. Um, things that wouldn't necessarily have prohibitions against sexual expression. They see sexuality as more natural, even part of a spiritual experience. The spirituality mm-hmm. piece is where Satanists differ. Levian Satanists can go either way, kind of getting more into occultism or esotericism, being interested in more like neo-pagan kind of practice of the belief in magic. And so the rituals may include, you know, magical beliefs and things like that. Whereas others adopt more of a, just a strictly rationalist perspective on rituals in which they're just performing them symbolically. And so there mm. wouldn't be any like s- spiritual sense of sexuality, but rituals can be performed still symbolically that have deep meaning to the person's sexuality. And I mean, probably, let's say mental, physical, social, like positive effects to the person. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know this too, probably, but in sex therapy, sex education, we learn how like ritual can connect people and ground Mm -hmm. them and give meaning to things and be transitional. So I've definitely used it with like the past, the death of my partner Mm -hmm. um, or just grieving other partner losses. So ritual is important, even if you don't believe in magic. I think that's really, really interesting to remember. And this is something I want my audience to remember that if you create ritual for yourself, like you can put whatever beliefs you want into it as long as it works for you and it doesn't hurt anybody else i think Mm -hmm. is what we're coming back to yeah absolutely i mean there are i mean the satanic rituals was um published i think in 1972 um a satanic temple member shiva honey released uh what's called the devil's tome which is another like ritual book more recently i think just last year all these have like explicit kind of guides for ritual practice but it's all it all can be tailored to the individual of whatever is personally meaningful for you. Mm-hmm, totally. I light a lot of candles. <laughs> I smell yeah. a lot mm-hmm. of things. I rub mm-hmm. some rocks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I stretch. Uh, okay, so sex worker affirmative therapy. Uh, you are working. How do you? What does this look like in practice for you? Um, well, it was in conjunction with my collaborator that I did all my sex work related research with Katie Bloomquist, who's a therapist. Um, and so she has more the the applied side of it. I was more kind of like the lit review and okay. scientific side of, of writing that paper uh, together that was published, I think, 
2019 or something. Um, but essentially, it's it's adopting the minority stress model, which was originally developed for gay and bisexual men to better understand some mental health and physical health disparities that they experience and recognizing that it's not the sexual orientation, but how people treat uh, others with particular sexual orientations. And so we can say conceptualize sex work and sex workers similarly in that if we see health disparities, whether it's physical health or mental health, that it's not from the sex work per se, but how society treats sex workers. And so with like physical oh, stressors. And, <laughs> yeah, so all these different types yep. of stressors. And so the affirmative therapy, um, you know, essentially it's, it's very, you know, client-centered therapy of meeting the, the, the client where they are, having them mm-hmm. tell their own story, not making assumptions about the type of work that they're doing, that they automatically want to leave, or that they've been forced into it or coerced. But if they are, here are strategies in order to engage in harm reduction or to exit. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all about affirming where they are currently and what they want to do with their job, if that's even relevant to why they're seeking therapy in the first place. Because that's another mm-hmm. big assumption that if a sex worker goes to therapy, it must be related to sex work in some way. So it's just like humanizing the sex worker and uh, affirming their work, their mm-hmm. autonomy, and really letting them um, tell their own story. Mm-hmm. And like the daily struggles, let me give uh, one example for folks who don't really understand like what what we might be talking about. So you said like minority stress. Right. Um, okay. So that could be like, as a person of color, like navigating microaggressions in like a dominant white culture. Mm-hmm. So I was not born a sex worker, so it's not the same. However, mm-hmm. when I move through my daily life, the nature of the work that I do and like the stigma or the criminalization, depending on what kind of work it is. Like, for example, going to, this might seem very small, but going to make a cash deposit at my credit union can be incredibly stressful and very stressful for some people who are closeted about their work because Mm -hmm. the tellers aren't supposed to ask what you do or like how much, like, wow, is this all from one night? And it's, it can put you in a scared, uncomfortable position. Like, are they going to fuck with my money because they mm-hmm. hate sex workers? Are they going to come try to see me? Are they going to look me up because they have all my info? I had a guy mess up my deposit amounts once because he oh, was wow. so like aroused and interested. I'm oh, like, wow. I know. So, I mean, you, yeah, you can lie about what you do, but like you have to remember the lies. <laughs> and then <laughs> if you see those people out, you know, potentially you're outed. So just like being a sex worker, there's so many other things that, as we call them, civilians don't have to think about or navigate um, or expend energy over. And this can show up in your body as things like insomnia, you know, trouble eating, digestive problems, jumpiness, irritability. Um, And so the health disparities you speak of, I understand how those happen as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So thank you for doing that work because we need that stuff. It's so hard for a lot of workers to be able to go to therapists because a lot of therapists are horophobic. Right. Absolutely. Yep. All right. So uh, I asked my Instagram audience, I'm not deactivated yet, <laughs> at stripper writer. I know I make that joke almost every every time. Um, I asked them if they had any questions about Satanism and sexuality. Questions and comments. One person says, there's a documentary on the Church of Satan on Netflix. Have you seen that? Um, They may be thinking of Hail Satan, the documentary, which is uh, focuses on the Satanic Temple, not the Church of Satan. Okay. 
I would have to look if there's one on the Church of Satan that I'm not familiar with that's on Netflix, but I'm guessing it's the one called Hail Satan that was released a few years ago, and that chronicles um, kind of the early days of the Satanic Temple. Okay. Someone says, it's not too late for you to reimagine your life. <laughs> <laughs> I get that one a lot, too. <laughs> I imagine you get... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Someone else says... Okay, they say manifesting with orgasms. I don't know what that means. Do you? I don't know. Well, like manifesting into what, but orgasm, and particularly through masturbation, can have an important role in ritual for Satanists who want to engage in ritual. And that that should be one qualifier I do mention. There's nothing um, uh, require. There's no requirement to for Satanists to engage in ritual. It's it's really like if it has any personal meaning to them, they can engage with it. Um, otherwise, as long as you live according to the satanic values, which are just kind of, it's very individualistic. It's um, like we were talking about earlier, kind of an mm-hmm. inverse of what Christianity tries to repress and suppress within just the nature of mm-hmm. being human. Um, mm-hmm. As long as you're living according to, to that philosophy, you are technically a, a Satanist. It doesn't require black clothing or to participate mm-hmm. in black masses. But there are rituals that do invoke or, or use rather uh, masturbation to the point of orgasm as an energy release, as a way for the person to gain you know, personal or sexual empowerment. What that's manifesting for the person, I don't know. That would be personal for them. So I don't really know where the question was coming from for that piece. But Yeah, uh, yeah I know. Sometimes people <laughs> kind of just like spew thoughts, I think, sure, and they don't yeah. really. Yeah. So thank you for that. Uh, I think one of the examples uh, for anybody who can't think of what we're talking about. One of the examples of like things that the Bible would teach is like, you are a servant to God. Your life is, should be devoted to God. And probably Satanism's like, no, like live for yourself. Just mm-hmm. be not a shitty person to right. other people. Yeah. So Satanism has been called a religion of self. It's more of like self-deification since it is atheistic or non-theistic. Like you are your own God. You are your own mm-hmm. temple and you can do whatever you want with it. Hmm. Hmm. Love that. Uh, someone says, here's another, blood rituals? <laughs> um, not that I'm aware of, but that's like explicitly part of anything. But like we've been talking about people, you know, it, rituals are customizable, right? So if you want to, you know, shed your own blood, shed your own blood, if that has personal meaning. And, you know, that that can be you know, I think when we think blood ritual as it relates to Satanism, we're thinking like spurts of blood coming out. But, you know, any kind of piercing play, um, suspensions, mm-hmm. um, you know, anything relating to that, any kind of piercing the skin could can technically be considered a blood ritual. Totally. And the only people I know who do those, they're not like practicing Satanists. No. They just have a blood kink. Right. Uh, someone says... Oh, okay. Someone says we are only gay because all the straight people overpopulated the planet. Okay, this question brought out the weirdos, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, someone asks if uh, you know of any good satanic erotic art. Oh, that's very specific. Uh, no, I don't. But I would argue that all erotic art is satanic. Because Ooh. if we look at Satanism as being transgressive, um, we can also look at erotic art as being 
transgressive. And so therefore it is satanic. And so that's the thing to kind of think of that Satanism doesn't have a certain aesthetic. We, we think of it that way because of stereotypes and what we see in like movies. And it can certainly go along with that. And we can, like we were talking about earlier, of like the trolling weaponization of people's fear of Satanism does involve a lot of that aesthetic. But, you know, you can look like Neil Diamond and be a Satanist. Um, <laughs> you can do whatever you want aesthetically. And so that, that can go into any kind of art that would be transgressive. And I would argue that erotic art is. And so therefore, it is satanic. I love that. All right. Well, let's take a break. We will be right back. You can find him on Twitter at Dr. Sprankle and online, drsprankle.com. Ioba Toys is the creator of the super silent sex toys, the Oh My G and the Oh My C. The Oh My G is a G-spot massager with three intensity levels, a massaging pearl, and a unique C-shape made to precisely hit the G-spot. The Oh My C is a clitoral massager with a rotating massaging pearl that mimics a tongue or fingers, also known as oral sex, and it fits in the palm of your hand. Both toys are super silent and come in pink or white. Try code L30 for 30% off on iobatoys.com. Do you have sex questions? Do you want help learning new techniques, communicating with a partner, opening a relationship, or exploring kink? Sex and intimacy coach Stella Harris can help. Book a session now to take your intimate life to the next level. Listeners of this podcast receive 20% off their first session with code TTS. Learn more and schedule at www.stellaharris.net or follow her on Instagram at Stella Harris Erotica. Welcome back to They Talk Sex Podcast. Thank you for listening to us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and theytalksex.com. You can find my website, lstanger.com. And find me on Twitter at L Stanger. We are talking to Dr. Eric Sprankel. He's researching sexuality, stigma, and Satanism. We talked about some sex worker affirmative therapy. Yeah, I definitely noticed when I did this ask me anything on Instagram to source feedback for here that I just got more like random, blurty, weird word <laughs> <laughs> comments i'm like uh it's the people it's the satanism it like right it brings out a certain kind of people that i don't necessarily you know interact with but you do how's twitter yeah how's twitter for you now nowadays i do yeah it creates weird reactions in people uh twitter's it's okay what's interesting is that i'm on instagram too and I actually have a lot more engagement on instagram even though i really just post screenshots of my tweets isn't that weird yeah and i, I get more i don't know historically i've gotten more of the right-wing crowd attacking me on twitter than on instagram but i get kind of like the no fat people on instagram the semen retention people on instagram more oh, man. Um, but generally it's it's more of a positive experience on instagram than the shit show that Twitter. No fab. Yeah. Oh, the no masturbation people yeah, and the yeah, human yeah. retention. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and those people I have noticed the like anti-masturbation and the semen retention people usually seems to come from some either like Christian, like Puritan, like don't touch your wiener thing, mm -hmm. or some 
here's the word androcentric again, like men's group where mm-hmm. they believe it's like increasing their vitality. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's it's rooted in shame and which can certainly be rooted in the <laughs> religious upbringing and things like that. But definitely the misogyny that exists with it is that they they're trying there's certainly an element of hypermasculinity that goes into it because they're trying to be something that in their mind is very masculine and what it means to be a man. So going to the gym and really mm-hmm. bulking up and, you know, having Growing sex a beard and right. And having sex with a lot of women. And so when they're not getting the gains that they want in the gym, they don't have the beard that they want. They're not having sex as often as they want. They're blaming something. And what they chose to blame is, ejaculation and so that's what they think (laughs) they're all gonna get prostate cancer i'm sorry (laughs) that's what they think is holding them back is that they ejaculate too much and so by (laughs) not ejaculating they think this semen that just sits in their prostate and their seminal vesicles is doing magical wonders to their body and is making them stronger and more attractive and it's like it's ridiculous fascinating yeah okay um and Semen retention beliefs have existed all over the world, and I'm not an mm-hmm. anthropologist, I'm not a sexual anthropologist, but it's not like this belief is new. Right. Um, but science shows that like having ejaculations is good for you. Mm-hmm. Healthy ejaculations, are good for your prostate, good for regulating all, all your bits of you, probably if it's in your body, respiratory, endocrine system. Um, okay, so it is November as we record this, so yes, no- mm-hmm. November. <laughs> Right. (laughs) Uh, All right. Let's do some listener questions. So we kind of talked about this earlier. The question is, are there any sort of rituals related to sexual empowerment that exist in Satanism? Yeah. So originally there was something called a a lust ritual. And again, this kind of goes how, how that gets practiced will determine or be based on a person's individual beliefs in magic or more of a rationalist approach, a more symbolic approach to, to ritual. And so this is more traditional, like sex magic that you would see in some neo-paganism um, in which, um, you know, you're, you're performing a ritual and this one involves masturbation to the point of orgasm, thinking about the person uh, or a person that you may have a crush on and believing if you're have the magical thinking side of things, believing that you're putting energy out into the world and that attraction will be reciprocated. Mm. On the rationalist side of things, it would just be um, a way to maybe get up the confidence for yourself to ask this person out if you've been shy or hesitant um, uh, Mm. approaching somebody that you may have an interest in. So that's more explicit kind of ritual that does focus definitely on uh, sexuality. But I would argue that sexual empowerment can be gained from a lot of different rituals that we generally don't think of as being sexual, such as the traditional black mass or destruction ritual or what's called like unbaptisms. All of these are the goal for these, especially black mass and unbaptisms, is to rid oneself of um, their religious indoctrination that they received growing up. Wow. And so there's an intentional use of blasphemy and sacrilege as a way to kind of, it's essentially kind of think of it like exposure therapy. Orgy time? Um, 
<laughs> well, that can be a part of it. Yeah. Woo! But um, it's like desecration of a communion host by inserting it into your vagina or your anus. Um, so things that were very, very sacred to you at one point, or at least you were told that these were sacred. But mm-hmm. if you don't have that belief, belief system, it's not sacred to you, but it can still hold power over you. Mm-hmm. So by destroying some of that in your own ritualistic way, that you are breaking that power. And therefore, if that religious indoctrination include a lot of sexual prohibition and a lot of sexual guilt and shame, you're also freeing yourself up from those prohibitions. And so that's why a black mass or an unbaptism or a destruction ritual can be indirectly sexually empowering. Mm, I would see that at um, slut walks, Portland slut walks that I co-organized for some years. And those were, those are a international movement against sexual assault and victim blaming and people would show up some people would show up naked or in lingerie um and the one that always really struck me is this woman who wrote to me afterwards and she said she wore the dress that she had been raped in her words oh, wow. mm-hmm. and yeah and she said it was a very like emotional positive experience so mm-hmm. ritual can be so impactful and therapeutic i think is the word yeah absolutely for people so are there any sort of rituals yes and then probably a ton we don't know about because again you said there's all these factions right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i can't keep up with the number of factions (laughs) because if like one person has a disagreement with like the satanic temple they'll start their own and it's really just like a a religion of one person but it it makes it seem because they have a social media account it makes Mm -hmm. it seem like it's a bigger thing than it actually is so there's a lot of like splitting off people thinking that they can do their own thing and i get you know it's like any other kind of organizing there's going to be infighting and disagreements and people are going to go out and do their own thing and like hate the people that they left Mm -hmm. and yeah so it can get messy just like any other kind of organizing uh is Mm -hmm. listener question two do you have any advice on exploring sex while being a sober indulgent satanist I don't have any advice directly. What I would recommend, though, there is a faction of the Satanic Temple uh, called Sober Faction. And I know they have an online presence like on you know social media, Twitter, Instagram, at least Twitter. Um, I know they have regular, regular meetings online. Um, and so I would recommend at least Googling TST mm-hmm. Sober Faction uh, to kind of check them out. TST Sober Faction. I'm going to do that as a person who quit drinking like six or seven weeks ago. Again, I was dry for like two and a half years and then I did this previously and I'm just, my advice, because that is such a challenging one for people anyway. Like, how do I date? How do I fuck sober? I've never done it sober. Mm -hmm. Um, Go slowly, go slowly. And also it's fine to tell the person that you aren't used to having sober sex (laughs) because I mean, if you feel like you have that connection, a lot of people will kind of appreciate that. And a lot of people will also feel similarly. Um, So good luck to you. Listener question three, what are your thoughts on the new wave of so-called satanic panic? Yeah, got a lot of thoughts on that. So we should um, probably give a little history. Right. <laughs> I was reading on a Vox piece uh, that it started in the 80s. Right. In the US. But really, it seems mm-hmm. like satanic panic probably goes back in various forms for a while. Like, mm-hmm. isn't that what, what witch trials essentially kind yeah. of were? Yeah, absolutely. It's just by a different name. Okay. 
moral panic surrounding Satanism has have existed for centuries. But what's typically called the Satanic Panic started in the 1980s and 90s in North America and in parts of Europe. And the focus with that was the belief that there was Satanic cults, underground kind of networked global Satanic cults that were perpetrating Satanic ritual abuse against children, primarily in daycare centers Mm -hmm. um, across these countries. And so that led to a lot of accusations, a lot of uh, arrests and even convictions just based on fear and leading testimony. Um, And a lot of these were eventually exonerated, but people served time in prison, decades, and some are still in prison um, based on very, very flimsy evidence that was very Mm. sensationalized um, about this belief in satanic ritual abuse. And it died down in the 90s, definitely got replaced a lot with uh, Islamophobia after 9-11, just another religious boogeyman that was needed in in various cultures. Um, But fears about Satanism can't be kept down for too long. So it certainly came back several years ago in the form of QAnon, which has very, very similar characteristics as it did in the 80s and 90s, this belief that there's this global satanic cult that is um, perpetrating violence against children. So the language has just been updated. It's focused on sex trafficking now, Mm -hmm. uh, since that's the buzzword currently, as opposed to child uh, ritual abuse. Um, And it has more of a political angle now because it's viewed that Democrats and the quote unquote Hollywood elites are these pedophilic Satanists um, who are drinking the blood of children and engaged in sex trafficking rings and and all that. They've like morphed. Right. It's morphed together because there's the children element with like the the Wayfair thing a couple years ago where, yeah, it was like QAnon or the far right started this claim that you could like people were sending children overseas in these like cabinets. And if you bought a big Mm -hmm. one, like maybe a kid would arrive in it. (laughs) Um, Wikipedia, and I know it's just Wikipedia, it's not a super reliable source, but I thought their uh, little some summary of Satanic Panic was kind of interesting, and I want mm-hmm. you to tell me what you think of it. Uh, it says, is a moral panic consisting of over 12,000 unsubstantiated cases of Satanic ritual abuse starting in the U.S. in the 1980s, spreading throughout many parts of the world by the late 1990s and persisting today? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's accurate. And unfortunately, why I speak up about this a lot, mental health practitioners were certainly involved in perpetrating um, and perpetuating rather the uh, the, the moral panic um, mm-hmm. because they were the ones that were engaging in pseudoscientific practices of recovering repressed memories of this satanic uh, ritual abuse in their patients. And it was really just a projection of their own uh, beliefs in the devil and beliefs in satanic cults and beliefs in evil. And so that's where it was largely coming from. And once you have perceived credible experts saying this is a real thing, Mm -hmm. then the media buys into it. The large the public at large buys into it. And that's how you have a a real moral panic uh, when you have enough buy in. Mm-hmm. And it still goes on today, like even in mental health um, mm-hmm. that I presented on satanic sexuality at a marriage and family therapy conference recently. And when the schedule got released, I was forwarded emails from the conference organizer and one of the therapists, the member therapists who was going to attend the, the, the conference was mm-hmm. very, very upset at the inclusion of my presentation on satanic sexuality <laughs> because of 
the intrinsic link between pedophilia and Satanism and how uh, Satanists practice sexuality by engaging in the ritual abuse of children. Wow. And so it still exists. There's still therapists who believe, believe this. this. And that's going to be my next project is looking at what predicts, what characteristics predicts these kinds of beliefs in current therapists. Uh, well, I would say probably deep religiosity. Absolutely. Definitely a, a belief in a literal devil, for sure. It's interesting how what keeps coming up, whether it's child sexual abuse or anti-porn, you know, sex trafficking, so-called fears, is the underlying themes are this stuff won't happen if you have traditional family models is what their messaging is. Like, right. like we can prevent child abuse. Everybody just needs to be straight mm -hmm. and married and have sex only to have children and don't even have sex unless you're trying to have children. Don't be sexual. <laughs> right. And if you deviate from any of this, obviously you are a sinner or if they're not into that, it's you're like mentally ill. You're right. Yeah. And it really denies the reality of at least child sexual abuse and who are the perpetrators. And it's Family. more likely. Yeah, exactly. It's happening yeah. in people's homes. You don't need a belief in satanic cults uh, who are orchestrating globally to kidnap your children. It's happening in your homes. That's where we need to look, not at make-believe boogeymen. Mm -hmm. And I actually, I was, uh, tr I'm trying to find the article that it was, but there's a Vox piece I've been looking at. It's called Why Satanic Panic Never Really Ended mm -hmm. uh, by Aja Romano of March 31st, 2021. Um, I can't remember. This is a lengthy piece, but I was reading somewhere else too that someone is quoted as theorizing that part of the reason why these conspiracy theories tend to be really popular is because people don't want to look in the mirror and see where the abuse is actually happening. Mm -hmm. So it's easier to blame people who make porn or people who don't believe in God. Right. Right. And because the, how violence actually happens is not very sensational. It's too simplistic for people. Um, we need to like have these grand ideas or these grand fantasies, these grand con conspiracies to help us make sense out of like horrific things that happen. Um, so similarly, like what just happened with the Travis Scott, uh, you know, the Astro World concert, right? It was, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, it was, it was I, I've only read a little bit about it, but from what it seems like, it's just, you know, poor event planning that led to a crowd crush yeah. in which people literally had cardiac arrest because they were being squeezed to death. Mm -hmm. Or and panicking. And exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so in, instead of recognizing the very simple and parsimonious explanation of poor event planning. Bad communication. Exactly. That led to a crowd crush. We can't accept that eight people would have died just that meaninglessly, that there has to be something bigger. And so then I started seeing that, oh, it was actually a, a satanic ritual <laughs> sacrifice. It was a blood ritual. They needed uh, people to die at that concert because look at these symbols that were up on stage and all this ridiculous satanic panic to try to make sense out of just a meaningless mm -hmm. uh, tragedy mm -hmm. that happened. Human um, error tragedy. Exactly. People want greater meaning than a simple explanation. The simple, exactly. Mm -hmm. Because that's a scary explanation that yeah. bad things just happen because of right. human error and poor planning and miscommunication. I accidentally saw a conspiracy theory video in my feed, like from a, mm. from a far right religious 
Uh, I don't know how it popped up. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, so I started watching it because I was like, what is this? Is this like a spoof on something? And then <laughs> I actually saw some like footage of people being like, it's really bothering me still what I saw mm-hmm. like at that event. And yeah. then I realized, oh my God, this is actual like horror porn from a far right conspiracy theorist. And it's like triggering the shit out of me. Yeah. And I understand why it gets people upset, but at least I have the literacy to understand that what I'm seeing is meant to be inciting my mm-hmm. fear, you know, my disgust, my outrage. Um, yeah. And that's scary. That's I, I, I found myself getting frustrated. I'm like, Oh, like these big events, like I can see how the breakdown of communication would happen. Poor training that's frustrating to me and like a lot of people just don't think like that i know yeah yeah but ugh, the that is something to look for um in like anti-sex messaging you know anti-abortion messaging is it's it seems like it's supposed to upset you incite you definitely Mm -hmm. so it shows like the little baby that's like don't murder me (laughs) right yeah or like boobs and then the word like satan will know you know (laughs) like why did you show me boobs now i'm turned on and i feel bad (laughs) right uh okay so let's take another break so l can take a deep breath (sighs) be right back do you have a sensitive vulva or vagina me too People with vaginas will experience at least one yeast infection in their lifetime, and many folks like myself get them every time the seasons change. As someone who relies on their vaginal health for their personal and professional wellness, I use Momotaro Apotheca solutions for preventing bacterial vaginosis or yeast infection. Their products also serve urinary tract infections, postpartum care issues, aftercare, and general irritation from sex, clothing, and exercise. I love these things. I use them to shorten my healing time or prevent irritation. Use Stripper Writer for a discount code and check out their affiliated CBD products at oshihana.com. That's momotaroapotheca.com and oshihana.com. Hey everybody, it's Elle. Are you ready for some discount codes? You can get 20% off cool t-shirts like the ones you've seen on Instagram by feministtrash.com if you enter all caps L Stanger. That's my name. I recommend using the code STRIPPERWRITER for 10% off your orders, $35 or more on sexual wellness items from unboundbabes.com. This is one of my favorite websites. And I know some of you enjoy the Vesper toys on lovecrave.com. You can use all caps code L for a free engraving on your Vesper toys. It's one of my favorite vibrators and I also use it to calm down like a uh, sternum vibrator. Nobody's ever asked, but I do indeed receive a portion of sales. Thank you so much to these affiliates for offering to do so, and I'm happy to recommend their products. And please let me know, listeners, what products you like or any feedback about anyone I ever recommend, be it in show or in social media or here. Now let's get back to the show. Welcome back to the Talk Sex Podcast. This is your Satanism and Sexuality episode. Our guest is Dr. Eric Sprankle. He is the Associate Professor of Clinical Psychology and Co-Director of the Sexuality Studies Program at Minnesota State University, Mankato. Find him on Twitter, if you haven't already, at Dr. Sprankle and website drsprankle.com. 
So I want to, I want to see what else I can find. Let's just go on the World Wide Web and see what we can find when we type in Satan and sex. Because before I did Satanism and sexuality. Mm-hmm. Okay. Chicago Tribune. Ooh, this is fascinating. Okay. The Chicago Tribune posted this. This is, oh God, Reverend Billy Graham wrote this. Okay. This is <laughs> weird to me. Like the Chicago Tribune sounds like a legitimate news source, but the title of this piece is Sexual Immorality Remains One of Satan's Most Effective Weapons. Yeah. Um, and I understand sure. this. Sure. <laughs> this is an opinion piece. Um, but like, this is so weird to me that this is hosted like as if it's content, like news. Right. It's not, yeah, even, it doesn't even say opinion on this anywhere. Right. That that should be like in the back of your church newsletter and not in a major city's publication <laughs> because then it's, it's viewed as like, oh, this is a credible source. We need to consider this. And it was just the person's opinion about their personal religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says, okay, so the question, the question he says, it has been said that sexual relations is a gift from God. Oh, thank you. Thank you, God. <laughs> I say that all the time. Thank you. <laughs> it has been shown that people in research that people's religiosity, like how they're raised, what they believe, what they were raised to believe, can relate to their feelings of shame around sex. Correct? Okay. Correct, yeah. Okay. So knowing this how can you and i how can we like besides trolling which is just fun and cathartic for people who have mm-hmm. like been hurt by religion how can right. you and i actually teach and like be proactive against the sexuality like shaming that goes on in so much of the dominant culture yeah um even though this word is getting certainly overplayed, but it is like just normalizing everything that has been considered taboo and what Billy Graham was referring to as immoral, because that's just a subjective value judgment of what is and what isn't immoral. And I think he was even just talking about entertainment, not even like actual sexual practices. Mm-hmm. So it is, you know, what we do online of just providing empirically based, scientifically grounded, medically accurate, comprehensive and inclusive sexuality education Mm -hmm. and being that counterweight to all the bullshit that we're exposed to and have been exposed to since we were born about being ashamed of our bodies and being ashamed of sexuality. And sex is great only if it exists in this very, very narrow way. And anything that deviates from that narrow way is a sin or if you don't buy into the concept of sin then you have to start trying to sell them that it's unhealthy mm-hmm. physically or psychologically in all these different ways mm-hmm. and just being the force against that and as best as we can to provide accurate information and the repetition of it and this is why i am mm. intentionally repeti- repetitious um mm-hmm. in social media because it it's not just a one-time exposure to a, a piece of information that's going to really change beliefs. Mm. It is constant exposure to it and hearing that more so than what you're hearing that is producing the shame. And then slowly over time, the accurate information, the, the healthy sexual information is the larger voice in your head than the shame-based messages. Mm-hmm. And what I'm hearing is this is why we repost some of our old tweets sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, because it's like... It bears repeating. <laughs> yeah, it bears repeating. And 
I still get the same questions now that I got 10 years ago from strangers. Like, at what age is it okay to have sex? Is it okay mm-hmm. to masturbate? You know, right. what do women like in bed? Like, and I, <laughs> I forget. I'm like, I've already had this conversation like 45 right. times. Like, doesn't mm-hmm. everyone know? Absolutely not. Right. No. No. Um, okay. So what are some other, do you have any other Satanism or, and or sexuality resources that you could recommend? Well, my go-to Satanism resource is always a book called The Invention of Satanism. It's, mm. it's written by academics, but it, it's pretty approachable. Um, it's pretty easily digestible as opposed to it's, it's um, other book called Children of Lucifer. That's if you want to do a dissertation on this topic. That's sitting pretty heavy for me. Hmm. Uh, but The Invention of Satanism is a good one. That documentary that I mentioned earlier, Hail Satan, that at least gives you a good overview of the early days of the Satanic Temple and some of its beliefs. Um, I have posted that recent article that was published of mine on Satanic sexuality, even though it's geared toward therapists to increase their cultural competency in working with Satanist clients. Um, mm-hmm. It gives you a background of the history of Satanism and Satanic sexuality. That's up uh, on my website under the research uh, section. You'll see the citation awesome. for it and then a link to the PDF. Oh, um, awesome. Free PDF. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so with that, um, one thing I did want to say, because it is mentioned in the article, but something that we didn't get uh, to talk about in terms of Satanism and sexuality, at least the data that I've collected over the past couple of years, over a little bit more than a thousand Satanists from all over the world, over 40% of Satanists are members of the LGBT community, Hmm. two thirds are BDSM practitioners. Hmm. Of those in relationships, near uh, over a third are in non monogamous relationships. (laughs) So, this, this speaking religion, to all my people, <laughs> <laughs> right? So this religion, because of its attitudes um, about sexuality, that have been a part of it since its beginning, it hasn't slowly liberalized, so to speak, uh, with mm-hmm. the times. It has been this way since uh, its founding. Um, it can certainly attract those who have sexual stigmas attached to them and have been rejected or shamed from other religious beliefs, or it could just be that they're more honest. Uh, to researchers uh, than other religious uh, participants because their behavior does align uh, with their values. Mm. And so that's all in my article too, that if you want to read a little bit more about some of those like descriptive statistics. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and that's called satanic sexuality, understanding Satanism as a diversity issue for sex and relationship therapists. Um, You're right. There wasn't another article that I found that I thought was interesting. Uh, It's about Mm -hmm. the astral world thing. How bogus satanic panic conspiracy theories are hijacking a senseless tragedy. This is from The Independent. Uh, The thing that caught me about this article was uh, the the byline is, from the Beatles to Tupac Shakur, musicians have long been charged with inciting satanic panic. And so Mm -hmm. this also makes me think of like Elvis and a lot of the satanic panic stuff was fears around teenagers expressing their sexuality, mimicking the sexuality they were seeing or like hearing about in the music. Like, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So the, the the label Satanist has been used as a pejorative against political, uh, religious rivals and cultural outsiders for centuries. And so 
every president um, in the past 50 years, every hmm. pope over the past 100 years has been accused of being a Satanist. Karl hmm. uh, Marx, the Beatles, Oscar Wilde, anybody that you, somebody can have a beef with mm-hmm. that goes against the mainstream or challenges the status quo in some way, including in sexual ways, is labeled and can be labeled a Satanist or it's hmm. derivatives of like a witch. And, and things I like wonder that. if Britney Spears has been labeled a Satanist. Someone probably oh, thinks sure. that. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that would be an easy Google search to find at least right. one message board commenter totally. you know, trying to link her to uh, Satanism. Totally. Uh, okay, so thank you for those resources. Um, yeah, it's it's just quite it's quite amazing, and sometimes it's just so obvious, and yet I forget how so much of sex shaming relates back to these like really patriarchal religions. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That just have some really funky controlling attitudes um, in some of their believers. I have a couple like nice Christian friends. They're mellow. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't understand their beliefs, but I mean, I should. I'll talk to them sometime. But <laughs> I'm like, you're chill. You respect people. I don't I don't personally believe in a God up there, but that sounds nice. Mm-hmm. That sounds peaceful. Yeah. Um, I'm a realist. It sucks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, okay. So. This wasn't so much a, a sex episode, but a sexuality one. But I do ask every guest, do you have any sex tips for our audience? Uh, sure. I guess in line with, say, satanic sexual values that when it comes to sex, your body is your temple. So do with it as you please. And to quote the witch, the movie, The Witch, live deliciously. Hmm. However you define that. I love that. Everybody's thinking of their thing right now. They're like, yep, I'm going to get fisted tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Celebrate. Thank you so much for coming on, Dr. Eric Sprankle. Thank you. My pleasure. Yeah. I'll see you on Twitter at Dr. Sprankle. Everyone else find him online, drsprankle.com. And until next time. 